The Dick Van Dyke Show is the greatest sitcom in the history of television, and that is not up for debate. Well, I might stand for a little debate with the Lucy people, but that's it. The show ran on CBS from 1961 to 1966, and it broke through many social and media barriers, including being the first show to depict its lead characters' work and home lives with equal importance. But The Dick Van Dyke Show was also ahead of its time in the way that it portrayed African Americans. See, the show's creator, Carl Reiner, knew that Rob and Laura Petrie occupied a lily-white world, as did most sitcom characters in that day. But that never sat well with Reiner, and a month after the March on Washington, he and two of the show's writers, Bill Persky and Sam Denoff, got the chance to make a big statement on diversity in media while garnering one of the longest laugh breaks in the history of live sitcom recordings. I'm Dara Star Tucker, and this is The Breakdown. The Dick Van Dyke Show came along during a time of tremendous social change. The civil rights era was in full swing. Television was advancing past its infancy and really discovering the full breadth of its possibilities. And the Kennedys were in the White House. In fact, Rob and Laura Petrie, played by Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore, were often compared to the Kennedys. The early 1960s was a time of economic prosperity in the U.S., but there was also significant social upheaval brewing just beneath the surface. For the most part, the average American could ignore that upheaval until it came Came crashing through their TV screens in August of 1963 with the March on Washington. Earlier that year, civil rights leader Medgar Evers had been killed in Jackson, Mississippi, an event that made national news, but that still felt like an event that was connected mostly to the Old South's ties to racial bigotry and Klan entrenchment. But to see hundreds of thousands of people, black and white, marching for racial equality and justice on the nation's capital, that was a watershed moment and a signal that the black and white world of TV sitcoms might be due for a shakeup. For the first two seasons of The Dick Van Dyke Show, Carl Reiner, who was its creator and primary scriptwriter, focused his attention on keeping the show afloat. The show was based on Reiner's time as a writer for Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows. The original pilot, filmed in 1960 called Head of the Family, starred Carl Reiner as Rob Petrie. If you've ever watched the pilot, it's not hard to see why it just didn't work. Richie, Richie, I want to ask you a question. I want a truthful answer. You like Daddy? I don't like you! Not being liked isn't as bad as being hated. CBS rejected it, and Carl Reiner assumed that the show was done for. A few years later, producer Sheldon Leonard decided that the show deserved another chance, and he convinced Reiner to rework it with a new star, Dick Van Dyke, who was turning lots of heads in the role of Albert in Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway. They hired a completely different cast and pitched the revamped show to the network one more time, and this time, CBS went for it. But to Carl Reiner's dismay, the first season was not a success. This was likely due to the show's sophisticated humor and tone. If you compare it to some of the more popular shows in the early 1960s, like My Favorite Martian, The Beverly Hillbillies, and Ozzie and Harriet, it was really in a different class. It didn't rely on wacky situations or two-dimensional characters for laughs. The plot lines were usually based on real-life experiences of the cast and crew. The wife didn't vacuum in a short-waist dress and heels. She wore capri pants, much to the chagrin of CBS execs. It was really ahead of its time, and the ratings reflected that. Because of its less-than-stellar ratings, the network hadn't renewed the show by the time the first season ended in the spring of 1965.
1962. The cast, assuming that they wouldn't be back, had a rap party and said their goodbyes and started to seek out new projects. But here's what no one was expecting. In the summer of 1962, CBS decided to put the show in daytime reruns. Viewers got the chance to give Rob and Laura another look, and slowly but surely, the show began to gain popularity. And reportedly, executives at Procter & Gamble, the sponsors of the show, were fans of The Dick Van Dyke Show and insisted that it be renewed for a second season. So, miraculously, they were saved. By the third season, which began in the fall of 1963, The Dick Van Dyke Show had become a ratings juggernaut. It was the number three show overall, and throughout its five-year run, it would never fall out of the top ten. This gave its creator, Carl Reiner, a bit of leeway to take chances that he couldn't have gotten away with in previous seasons. He had worked with a few writers over the years who had developed scripts for the show, but none of them really got the show's tone. For the third season, he had found the writing team of Bill Persky and Sam Denoff, who were fresh off their run writing for The Steve Allen Show. They knocked it out of the park with the first script that they submitted to him, That's My Boy. They didn't know it, but that script, partly based on Bill Persky's real-life experience, not only tapped into the cultural zeitgeist, but it gave Carl Reiner the opportunity that he had been searching for to make a statement on racial diversity. The episode is a flashback to Laura's stay at the hospital immediately after the birth of their son, Richie. Rob is a nervous, sleep-deprived, first-time dad who has a penchant for making a fool of himself. Through a series of minor mishaps at the hospital, Rob becomes convinced that they sent him home with the wrong baby. Food and flowers meant for the Peters in room 203 were repeatedly delivered to them, the Petries in room 208. Mrs. Petrie, I have your valuables right here. Would you check them, please? Oh, no, these aren't mine. I have just a watch. Oh, stupid room 203. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> Here's room 208. That's it. Yes, Thank well, you. goodbye, Mr. and Mrs. Petrie, and I Would wish you a lot of luck with her. Her? Oh, I'm sorry, him. Baby boy Peters. No, no, uh, Petri. Uh, whatever. Rob works himself up into a lather and is eventually convinced that they also gave him the wrong child. Against Laura's protestations, he talks to the Peters over the phone and invites them over to exchange babies. The Peters, who Rob and Laura have never met, know that Rob's suspicions could not possibly be valid. But they don't argue with him. They just show up at his door. And, well, this is the result. We're Mr. and Mrs. Peters. Uh, come in. <laughs> I believe, I believe we have your Aunt Bertha's figs and you have Dick and Betty's flowers. <laughs> Mrs. Peters, won't you come in? That laugh you heard was highly edited from the studio audience's initial reaction. According to the cast and crew, the laughter went on for so long that they were unable to move forward with filming the scene. They had to allow the studio audience to collect themselves before they could even finish. And every line after that solicited long breaks of laughter, to the point that it took them a half an hour to film the final three minutes of dialogue. Why didn't you tell me on the phone? <laughs> Miss the expression on your face? <laughs> the airing of that episode was a monumental occurrence in 1963. Racial tensions were high, and it was highly unusual to see black and white people occupying the same space in a primetime sitcom. There were two television shows with black leads that premiered in the early 50s, Beulah and Amos and Andy, but those were just TV versions of radio-era minstrel characters. They were already a bit outdated, so they didn't last very long. So, for The Dick Van Dyke Show to portray a middle-class black couple who were in a hospital room just a few doors down from Rob and Laura, who were very much like them in dress and speech, was 
revolutionary. The fact that the Peters were not the butt of the joke, but were in on it, gave the audience permission to breathe a sigh of relief. And the writers pushed the envelope even further at the very end of the episode with this line. Well, you know the Peters little boy, Jimmy, is in the same grade school as Richie? Yeah. Jimmy, top student, straight A's. Richie? <laughs> I still think we got the wrong kid. <laughs> In fact, network executives and the show's sponsors had threatened to pull the episode because they were greatly concerned that it might come off as racist. But Reiner, Persky, and Denoff insisted that the show be allowed to air. Carl Reiner threatened to quit the show if they didn't air it. They knew that tonally it would strike the right note. And they were right. That's My Boy is seen today as a groundbreaking episode of early television for the way that it pushed back against social norms with well-placed humor. According to writer Bill Persky, CBS didn't receive one complaint letter. And this wasn't the only time that The Dick Van Dyke Show featured black actors. Even from the beginning, they included black children in Richie's classroom scenes. Greg Morris starred in another episode called Bupkis. There was an episode called A Show of Hands, which I addressed in a previous breakdown. And Godfrey Cambridge played an FBI agent in an episode called The Man from My Uncle in 1966. These efforts at inclusion may seem minimal now, but this was done at a time when mainstream audiences really weren't seeing any people of color in primetime television. These efforts made by Carl Reiner to normalize seeing black faces on television were subversive and intentional. More than any other show of its era, The Dick Van Dyke Show was a reflection of the values of its creative team, from the show's creator, Carl Reiner, to the writers, Bill Persky and Sam Denoff, to its director, John Rich, to its stars, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore. They were putting something on the line, and the work they produced stands as a testament to their progressive values. The Dick Van Dyke Show is evergreen. It's endlessly watchable, and it never goes out of style. It's smart, and it's silly. It's classic, and it's modern. It's sophisticated and simple. And when it challenged social norms, it never did so for the simple aim of being provocative. It was smart, funny television with a conscience. And I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. You asked for it, you got it. You can now purchase the Breakdown merch at the link in my bio, just in time for the holiday season.